Okay, good morning. Welcome to another episode of AlphaCast. I'm here with Dr. Bear Paul Lando from Alpha Vedic. How are you this morning, Bear? Cheers. Um, Doing fine. It's a fine day, and thank you for asking, Michael. Wonderful. I, I see you're sipping on a big old something. Uh, you're probably wondering what's in it. Yes, I am. I would assume uh, Jagulan tea. It's my secret brew, so I can't divulge. <laughs> well, uh, I've got my thermogenic brew here I'm about done with. Um, basically coffee and coconut oil with a little bit of cinnamon. So I'm fired up. And my morning routine, uh, that's basically my breakfast after I do some Alpha Vedic. Here's a little plug. I did zero point this morning with uh, actually zeolite and then did uh, my usual lemon, cayenne, uh, and maple syrup, and cayenne pepper. That's something I like to throw in. That's something we can discuss today. Our topic today is herbalism and growing your own medicinal garden, something that is extremely important to get into with you know, as we move forward in our topics relating to the need to become more self-sufficient, uh, the ability to grow your own medicine uh, is something that is going to be more and more important as we move forward in the coming years. We've been talking a lot about the grand solar minimum and the ability to grow your own food while obviously growing your own medicine is just as if not more important. Also, just uh, something to be able to do uh, for your family and for yourself, no matter what, um, super fun and rewarding. And also, you know, getting out in the garden, getting your hands dirty is just good for the spirit. So why not get out there and grow your own herbs and <clears throat> on the culinary side of things too, uh, for taste, of course, is something that uh, is super fun and something that we're all about. The way I cook, I like to cook with a lot of herbs, as I know Bear and Deb do as well. So we're going to get into it today. We're going to cover uh, a number of aspects of it from, first and foremost, how to get started, soil health, what are some techniques, places to grow. Then we'll get into types of herbs and what we recommend, what we like. Uh, obviously, a lot of this depends on what zone you live in. And we'll get into that. We'll probably get into some techniques on some tricks and tactics of how to grow stuff that maybe you think you thought you couldn't grow in your area. And then, of course, we'll get into how to process and how to properly use these because the one thing we must have respect for within nature is that it's powerful. And even though all of these things are natural, it doesn't necessarily mean you can just go willy-nilly without any education and start growing herbs left and right and start just ingesting them because while some may have amazing medicinal properties, also it depends on what your current health is and you know also what the herbs um, specific energetics are. And there are some herbs uh, that are have amazing properties, but for instance, if you were to ingest it, you might get a bad tummy ache or something. So this is where Dr. Lando's um, expertise will come into play and I look forward to learning a lot today because I'm really getting focused on growing my own herb garden, uh, medicinal herb garden specifically and a food forest as well and this is something that I want to learn from today. So we'll dive into it now and kind of get going. Um, 
where do you want to start with this, Bear? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> okay. Herbology is so huge. Yeah, totally. Go well, ahead. maybe give a little bit of background on how you uh, got really started on herbology and, you know, where, what your journey was with that. Well, I'd have to default back to my, you know, uh, after conventional training, I was in naturopathic college and, you know, that initiated the whole journey, um, you know, into learning more alternative methods using natural substances, including herbs. But, you know, even before that, uh, I grew up in a different culture. You know, my parents were uh, just first generation, so they grew all their own things. My grandparents, who came from the old country, you know, both from Italy and Peru, um, they just grew things. So uh, it, I guess it was second nature. And, uh, you know, mom always had us out weeding in the garden. And if she's cooking dinner, she'd just say, hey, go get some whatever. And, you know, we knew what plant to go to. We knew how to, you know, get exactly what you needed from the plant and, uh, you know, what parts to pick and, and what to leave alone and, and how not to mess with it. So, you know, it wouldn't interfere with its, uh, you know, ongoing production. So I think what's happening these days is people haven't had that experience. They, they don't even see things growing, let alone use what they're growing or know how to use it in the first place. So I guess that would be the first thing. So I think uh, when I got into naturopathy, it was just second nature. And, but then it got a little bit more technical because we're, you know, uh, naturopathy, just like chiropractic, just like medical school, dentistry, uh, osteopathic, they all have the same four-year curriculum because it's all mandated by the national boards that you have to have the same, uh, not just pre-med, but, but four years medical training. The only thing different about conventional medical school versus naturopathy or chiropractic is you have about 3,600 hours total studies in your four years uh, before internships and all that. And 1,200 of those hours are in pharmacology, mm -hmm. which is basically learning how to uh, use pharmaceutical drugs, their indications, toxicology, and so forth. And then, of course, when you're out in practice, you forget everything and just do what the salesman tells you at the back door. And that's pretty much how people practice. But in uh, naturopathy and chiropractic, uh, you get about 4,800 hours total hours as compared to the 36 in the traditional med school. And you don't have 1,200 hours wasted on just learning drugs that are going to be obsolete. So instead, you learn uh, more encompassing global principles as far as uh, not just your pathologies and things that you have to learn just as part of the, the national you know, to pass the national boards, but then you start integrating in um, natural principles and how to recognize things within nature that can actually have a balancing and a healing effect. So, you know, we think of herbology as kind of a little cutesy thing and herbs and it's organic and cool and, 
you know, maybe take some of this for whatever symptom and it's, it's all health food store oriented and based on marketing propaganda from different companies that are selling their tinctures and, and products. But herbology is so much uh, more vast than pharmaceutical pharmacology. There, there's not even any comparison so, um, you know, to just finish up on your question, early life, naturopathy, uh, in the times, in the years since, of course, as we always talk about, we, we have a working farm and we grow. Uh, I'm always, uh, I consider myself a student, first off, and anybody who's in the field of growing things, and especially herbology, you never consider yourself uh, an expert and you're always learning. And after decades of, of doing all that I've done, I feel like I'm just starting to learn really. I mean, you just, just right. scratching the surface. So in um, my clinical years, you end up using a lot of products that are made for you. Now I never found any U S side um, that were of the quality that I needed in order to get good clinical results. And back in that time, Europe was still, still in the midst of somewhat of a renaissance as far as integrating what had come before with people like your Steiners and, you know, people that we always mention that understood the energetic properties, but also, um, uh, had the luxury of integrating what we're, we now know in the Western world as far as Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine principles and having the extra advantage of contemporary manufacturing and processing that if you integrate all those together, now you're improving upon old world alchemy actually. So in Europe, they have companies and they're falling by the wayside quickly, but they put out high level spagyrics and have companies that grow their own things, uh, have extremely tight controls. They understand the importance of energetics of herbs and take all the precautions uh, necessary to keep their products pure on every level. So in clinical experience, I learned what produced different results as far as uh, creating the, you know, what I needed when I was actually treating people. So in that world, it's not just herbal tinctures. You have many different classifications of how you prepare the herbs. You have spagyrics, which we can talk about a little bit more. You have homeopathy. And homeopathy is uh, nothing more than the isolated energetics of a plant. And when you say energetics, people think that's kind of mysterious or make-believe, but uh, really when you get into some of the other things you and I talk about, Michael, for instance, waveform physics, uh, it's very explainable and, and, um, and the most science-based way to approach things, really. So in homeopathic preparations, of course, you take the herb and you process out the actual pharmacology of it, the actual biochemical elements, until you're left with just the imprint, the electromagnetic, uh, th that's not a good way to term it, but 
the imprint, the electrical imprint of the plant itself. So it's its signature. It's the frequency of the plant. And that's useful because sometimes what you're treating needs to bypass the cruder, denser physical properties of a particular malady and get right to energetics. And so clinically, you want to know when that's appropriate or when you actually need the chemistry of a plant. Now, sometimes you prepare the plant by harvesting embryological forms of that plant, and then you concentrate the, the actual stem cells from those plants, and that becomes botanical stem cell medicine, and that's called gemotherapy. So wow. that's another level of herbology. And then spagyrics, which we already mentioned, is combining the energetics and uh, the, the nutritive properties of the plant and then the essence and creating an alchemical union of all three of them that elevates it to much more than any of those three parts if you were to just use them singly. So I got to know what did what, but I was so busy seeing people and, and just uh, playing the doctor role that even though we always had uh, things growing outside, I couldn't devote myself completely like I've been able to do in the, in the last number of years uh, where you're really learning herbs on a different level by growing more of them, making your own preparations, and just following the whole, um, you know, just putting your own energy into the growing applying your knowledge of why you would want to grow a particular herb to have it available later for something and then learning how to process it in certain ways and then administering it your same way, which are the, the drugs that you've actually grown and prepared, which is more old school that we talk about as a physic garden. And that's what doctors had back then. They had their physic garden where they did that and they got very good results. So, Herbology is much more complex than pharmacology, pharmaceutically speaking, and we can expound on that, but do you have any questions so far? Yeah, I mean, I have a million questions, um, but this does hark back to a topic we talk about a lot, which is this reductionist, materialistic um, plague that we have on our society right now and the pharmaceutical companies are a great example of that where they strip different aspects of this natural technology and apply that to chemical uh, derivations, if you will, uh, for an industry that, you know, dominates our current health system. And what you're talking about is the true living technology and applying that in a much deeper sense for true um, heal the you know for the true healing properties. So that's fascinating and really cool. And I, I, there's so many ways we can go. I want to be as practical as we can today too for folks who aren't don't have a lab at their house and can do a lot of these things. So I think it would be good to kind of back up a little bit and maybe start on a more basic side of things and then we can go deeper and deeper to where we can kind of help people get started with this and myself included and maybe just kind of 
some really basic stuff to start and then go from there. And one where I, place I'd love to start first and foremost is that you know, no matter where you live, doesn't matter if you're in an apartment in the city or have 20 acres, you can grow an herb garden. And there are lots of different methods you can do from obviously container planting to, you know, digging up some grass in your lawn and converting that into a garden. A lot of basic stuff. Also, something that I've gotten more and more attracted to is the hanging garden technologies, the vertical garden stuff, the hydroponics and stuff. Um, in your own expert opinion, what is the best way to get a garden going for traditional medicinal herbs? Um, are you a proponent for raised beds, um, container planting, straighten the ground? In your mind, what would you recommend or is it just depend on what you're playing with in, in terms of your property? Depends on what you're playing with in terms of your property. Uh, one of the things I teach is permaculture design. And when you do design work, you can go into a backyard or, or a large scale farm and you have to look at all the variables that you have to work with. So if you're maybe in a suburban setting and you don't have a large availability of land, nor do you know maybe what happened on the land before you got there, then raised beds are a good option. Uh, raised beds can also uh, be fabricated in a way where you can cover them and uh, create any condition you want to have more favorable year-round growing conditions. Uh, for instance, you could be in an area that has snow, and if you, like we have a, a couple raised beds out here, where uh, if we do get snows, we can actually instantly turn them into little mini greenhouses and keep things going, you know, just by mm -hmm. constructing hoops and and uh, sticking those in little holes that are ready to go and then throwing some, you know, sheet plastic over it. Uh, keep things warm, keep things going. You can also uh, get them above ground so that you can plant things a little bit earlier uh, because the, uh, the ground itself might be a little too cold longer so you can get a head start in the springtime planting things. Um, Again, herbology is such a, a vast subject, and I know where you want to go and keep it simple and practical. As a practitioner, I'm always very cautious because herbs are really nothing to be trifled with. They're nothing to be afraid of, but you really have to understand the energetic properties of them, and it's all too often you go into a health food store and you say, oh, take this for whatever condition. And in reality, it might be identified in recent research that maybe it has a certain immune effect or something. But energetically, it might actually throw certain individuals into an imbalance that could worsen things over time. It's not going to create the bad kind of side effects that pharmaceutical drugs do, 
So you're safer in that respect, but there's really a lot to know. So to go back to the basics, I think the way you can maybe have less complications or potential uh, issues where you're actually creating imbalances by, you know, maybe growing certain herbs and taking them year round or making your own tinctures. And maybe it's not what your constitution is meant to have, which is all part of herbology, not just looking at the pharmacology, but looking at the person that you're dealing with, or in the case of yourself, understanding more about yourself and then understanding what herbs done beyond what herbs do beyond just chemistry, because that's where the real powerful actions are. So the, I think the best way to start your own herb garden is start with culinary herbs. And the good thing about culinary herbs is we use them all the time. Anyway, when you grow your own, they taste way better. And instead of going into a store and buying a little, you know, box or a dispenser of, uh, herbs organic or conventional for seven dollars with one little plant that will come up year after year after year you'll never have to you'll never have to buy that herb again it's going to taste way better and in the case of things like oregano rosemary uh, lemon grass uh, all these things that you can create all these culinary effects with everything from Thai food, Italian food, uh, Asian type of cooking. They're going to taste so much better what you grow and save money. And it's so much more empowering rather than running down to the store and, and buying stuff, just, just to walk outside. You can live in an apartment building and have uh, a box, you know, out on your deck it's so the herbs are so easy to grow in small spaces. You can have a container garden, um, you know, in a window box or on your deck or in a little patio in a town home and do all this easy. And not only do you derive really good tasting herbs for your food, but there is medicinal value in that. And traditional cultures uh, didn't eat you know, prefab food with flavorings, they had these herbs. So these herbs uh, have wonderful effects for your, uh, for your physiology and can keep you healthy year round. And when you're eating them in that fashion to season your food, there's, uh, it's going to be very hard for them in that form to throw you out of balance. Uh, for instance, uh, compared to if you went to the health food store, and got a tincture and started dosing yourself every day because you heard that echinacea was good for your immune system. Echinacea yeah. is great, but it may not be what you want to take. And for sure, it's not something you want to take all the time. So culinary herbs, perfect way to go. Yeah. And, and some examples of those, of course, are your classics. And they all, I pretty much all have uh, medicinal uh, health benefits from sage, thyme, rosemary, of course, basil, um, uh, coriander or cilantro. Uh, those are ones that I, all, I grow all the time because I use in cooking and they're really easy to grow. Um, and then you can get more in detail. I mean, parsley. 
parsley is amazing for, for I found for digestion and something I use in cooking a lot. And you can get really creative with these because as you start growing your own, you get so much. I mean, like peppermint, that's a great example. It grows like a weed. It's taken off in one of my raised beds and it's actually great because it flowers really nicely. And so you've got, uh, I've got just my garden teeming with all sorts of different pollinators right now. But mint, you know, is an amazing herb and there's lots of different kinds of mint, spearmint, water mint. Um, I mean, I can go down the line. Uh, but besides just basic dental hygiene uh, and things like that, uh, it's got uh, all sorts of different um, uh, medicinal properties and it's just lovely to cook with. So it's a great, uh, a great advice there. Uh, with the culinary herbs, and most people are fairly knowledgeable about these, and uh, because they're used in traditional cooking uh, from the east to the west. So, yeah, thyme, basil, rosemary, sage, parsley, coriander, uh, mint—all great and really easy to grow too. I actually do have a culinary herb garden. Um, going that uh, I go into. Uh, dill is another great one I love to grow because uh, I like to pickle a lot. I'm in pickling season right now. I actually can't grow enough dill right now. Um, what are some other ones that you recommend that are on the culinary side? Lavender. We've got some. Lavender is a great one. Chamomile. Oh, yeah. um, we have plenty of cucumbers right now, by the way, if you want to make pickles. <laughs> Oh yeah. Um, I'm kind of cucumbered out, but I'm, uh, I would maybe want to get more cause I'm trying some different recipes. I'm actually doing some pickling right now. Like you would do kimchi, but with, with, mm -hmm. uh, cucumbers, uh, and trying that technique out and then that's gotta be refrigerated, but gonna be, um, yeah, I'm trying out some different fun pickling recipes right now. Um, the fun of growing your own food, you know, um, and, and harvesting and then, um, packaging and figuring that out is really a lot more effort than even growing. Uh, aloe vera, that's another one that um, we want to grow more of because that can be used for so many things from uh, your, you know, your skin and your hair, etc. And that can grow well here because we've got a hot, dry climate in the summer, but you can probably grow that most places. Um, grows great in a container. And uh, if you live in a cold area, then, you know, it may not like the cold winters, but if it's in a container, you just bring it inside and put it by a window and then put it out again, you know, in springtime. So uh, we, we do that. We have a lot of land, but there's some things that don't do well in the winter here. And we have, uh, you know, we're getting ready to do a geothermal greenhouse. We can talk about that later. But we have a big deck in the back, so we have all sorts of containers uh, growing all sorts of stuff that we keep going year-round that are waiting the time where we get our larger greenhouse construction done. Um, a real good concept that people are trending with now is food forest. And if you do have the luxury of having a small backyard space, then you can make use of every inch of it. And we do that here, even though we do have a good amount of land. For instance, um, right out my window here, we have a plum tree. And at the base of the plum tree, uh, we grow our parsley. 
And we don't have to plant these things year after year either. They, we let them go to seed and, you know, we get to use them most of the year. And in fact, all the way through midwinter, we're still out there and finding green shoots of parsley. But then when they finally do go dormant, uh, they just do their thing. And sure enough, next spring, they start sprouting up. So after a while, you don't even have to plant these things. And yeah. if you have raised beds, for instance, just let your plants, after they go to seed, don't necessarily dig them out and clean everything out. Just use that as your compost for next year. Just let them digest in the soil, maybe throw in some worm castings or maybe even some worms in your raised beds and uh, put your kitchen scraps in there and, and through the winters. Uh, you know, you'll just create more and more uh, soil and maybe in a raised bed, like most people go to Home Depot or somewhere to get bagged soil. And, you know, if you have to start that way, that you do whatever you have to do, but then just amend it. Worm castings are the first thing you want to do. You want to get azomite, which is a mineral supplement. It's um, mined in Utah and it has all the available minerals uh, that plants need and mineralization just like for the human body is the most important thing you can do for your plants and we've just seen magic happen with uh, azomite it's spelled a-z-o-m-i-t-e azomite and it's very cheap uh, a bag you know we buy pallets of it but you know you can buy a 25 pound bag and it'll last you forever and so uh, with soil mending packaged soil and if you do get soil from uh, like a Home Depot or somewhere they do have organic soil at least make sure you do that because there's some nasty stuff in the other soil and but then after you grow and you know every year you can amend it a little bit more but again when you compost it through the winter let your old plants just uh, naturally compost in there not only will you just keep making soil and be less dependent on buying soil, but it'll grow things better, be uh, more nutrient-rich. Your plants will like it. And then you won't have to buy starts either at the nursery every spring because the seeds will just start sprouting themselves. So that's what's happening under my plum tree out there. I've got parsley, comes up every year. And we've got different planting beds, some raised, some in the ground. You know, and we make our choice as far as how to grow things just based on what we know about the plants, what conditions they like, because we do have the ability to grow anything we want in the ground and we have ample space. And I know most people in the burbs don't have that option, uh, but still we'll use different options because different things affect different plants. And, um, yeah, and the uh, you made some great points. One thing I want to say about letting it go to seed, this is why it's so important to get heirloom seeds to start so that, and not GMO, and just because it says organic doesn't mean it's heirloom. So that's something that's super important I've learned. So then what you do is when you have good heirloom seeds, you harvest and then you let the plants, and this is something too in warmer climates, you ought to watch and not let them go to seed too early if you want to harvest the fruit. And so you got to stay on top of that and trim them down so they don't flower. And then once you're done harvesting and the season's over, you let them go to seed 
what I found is you take a paper bag, depending on what type of plant, and you collect the seeds, usually depending on what type of plant it is, whether it's a pod or a flower, etc. You let it dry out, and then you harvest those seeds, throw them into uh, paper, you know, however you want to organize them. I find that little paper envelopes work well. Obviously, you need to um, then mark what those are so you know what the seeds are, store them in a cool, dry place, and then come next season, you have the miracle of nature. You have you replant, and that will just continue to go and go. And this is why we, this is the true reason why we have GMOs is not because uh, what the narrative that it allows us to grow uh, stronger food in places that typically you couldn't know. It's so that petrochemical and pharmaceutical companies like Bayer Monsanto can control nature and control and uh, monetize food. So that's just a little uh, tip is make sure you get heirloom seeds. One thing that I do is I like to go to our local farmer's market and talk to the producers and get to know them, vouch, uh, get them vetted from other consumers, other people that I trust, and find out if they're truly growing heirloom. If they are, then you buy their product, you eat their fruit, and then you save the seeds. So I've got actually right over here on this table a number of seeds that I've, we've recently uh, pulled from plums and peaches and apples and all sorts of fruit, and we're saving those seeds, and then we're going to plant those and have in our orchard and extend um, our own food source just from going to the farmer's market. It, it's amazing what nature provides us. It's, it's all right there. But man, in his own hubris, in his own, as we talk about in the past, people that like to control nature are destroying that possibility. So it's important to educate uh, your friends and family on this simple stuff, which two generations ago, everybody knew. And, um, and get back to the basics. Really simple. Yeah. And uh, GMOs that are really prevalent in a lot of your nurseries these days, you know, you go to the, in the springtime, they've got all these great looking tomatoes and herb starts and so forth, uh, lettuce mix, and they are GMO. And what they, they, they use a class, uh, nicotinamides, uh, if, I'm, if I'm getting that right, uh, is they use those chemicals on those. And those stay in plants for about seven generations and that gets into your food and you're eating that. And that's another whole discussion, really nasty stuff. And what we have to understand with GMO, yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, these um, corporate monsters out there. They never do things unless they benefit in six different ways. And sure, there's the monetary part and they want to control the food banks and, you know, and, and control you in the process. But it's not just about genetically modifying the food. What they're really doing is genetically modifying you. Bingo. And it's not a mistake that uh, you find these elements in medicines, vaccines, in your food. They're being aerosoled into the atmosphere. We're getting bombarded with these Frankenstein creations and the name of the game is to introduce enough foreign DNA into the human genome 
so that we are no longer human and therefore do not have the same capacity uh, to reach the potential that we are here to achieve. Another huge uh, discussion, and we touch on those things from time to time, but we need to really keep looking at things within a larger context. So back to the food forest. In a small space, you can create canopies with trees uh, that will then provide shade for shade-loving plants. You can, uh, you know, just don't let any, any space go to waste. We're developing another part of our land out here, and we're saying, okay, what would be the perfect landscaping material? Looks great, easy to maintain, and actually provides a lot of nutrition. So we're actually, even though it's the end of the season, we're going to landscape this new area that's going to be a ground cover mixed in with a lot of other things we're growing out there, the strawberries. Strawberries are an amazing, you could even call them an herb, even though it's a fruit. They have so many medicinal qualities, it's not even funny. And, and you know, they taste crazy good compared to anything you can buy in the store. So a lot of these things that you grow when you think herbs, uh, don't just think culinary or medicinal, but most foods have herbal qualities and medicinal qualities. Great point. Yeah, and back to the food forest idea, which is something that I've really gotten into of late with the whole permaculture um, craze that I've been on, which is something that um, I find so inspiring. And I've been watching a ton of amazing videos on YouTube with people out there just using permaculture from massive desert areas to small suburban plots. I mean, it can be applied anywhere. Uh, but the food forest concept, it's funny how we've gotten away with it, uh, away from these simple ideas due to just, I guess, modern man's aesthetic where we want beautiful lawns and everything isolated with our tree. You know, I'm, that's how we came into this property with our orchard. Everything's isolated and separate with lawn running through. And what I'm discovering is that you know, one, there's no, <clears throat> by not dropping, as you were saying, essentially compost and uh, let, uh, you know, the old vegetation, even the weeds, letting them uh, cut them out and just put them there and letting them rot. What you're doing when you're doing that is you're just, you're developing the mycelium under underneath, which is the little internet of nature, which allows for everything to connect and talk. And we're just ridding that and destroying that, where if you go into any natural forest, and you look and you walk through it, you'll see that um, there are leaves and sticks and, and all sorts of rotting vegetation under trees. And that's super important. So that's something I'm trying to develop in our orchard. And we're actually ripping out the lawn and we're going to do cool pathways. And then between those pathways and all the trees, which we're going to grow more and more, we're going to have companion plantings. We're going to have really great mulch everywhere with the straw and the twigs and everything we cut. That's another thing when you do your, your fruit tree trimmings, uh, traditionally we would always just go burn them uh, and have a little bonfire instead of just clipping them down and putting them right back on the ground as nature does. Sounds really simple, but the benefits of doing this stuff uh, will not only help uh, nature with having the little creepy crawlies come back and all sorts of little 
um, you know, uh, mammals that enjoy that, that type of topography, uh, but also it will produce better fruit and produce better food. So that's something that <clears throat> is really interesting with the food forest concept and something that is going to be a fun project for us. We've got about an eighth of a, maybe a little bit bigger, eighth of an acre orchard on the front. I'm looking out right now in the front of our property and that's going to be a really fun project is watching that grow into a full um, thriving food forest. And worms are really key. Uh, if you don't have a lot of worms and you know, if you're digging around in your yard and you aren't readily seeing a lot of worms, then you can go online and for about 30 bucks, you can get about 9 million worms, you know, and just uh, put them strategically throughout your yard. Uh, best place to put them is uh, maybe dig a little pit and then uh, put your compost in and throw some words, worms in there and the worms will digest your compost and you can put them around growing beds and do the same thing. And what the worms do, of course, is they not only digest compost, but they make soil in the process. They yeah. aerate the soil and do a lot of good things. And then when they're done with their job, they migrate on to another little area adjacent and do the same thing. And then the microbes take over and the soil bacteria and other microbes, fungi, they'll go ahead and digest all the soil elements left behind by the worms and reduce them down to uh, uh, smaller particles that then can be taken up by the, the roots. Another thing that's really important is uh, when you do buy soil amendments, make sure that you buy organic soil amendments you know, like fertilizers and you'll have different mixes of soil amendments that some are like more geared toward growing roses or or uh, growing fruit or vegetables or, or for acid loving plants. There's all sorts of different ones that you get to know how to use, but make sure that you get organic ones that have an abundance of mycorrhizae because that is what replenishes your soil bacteria, your soil organisms. Because without organisms, uh, the soil would not be viable. We couldn't grow a thing. And it's the same thing in the soil of our body. The human body has got 10 times more microbes than it has cells. And uh, just a little bit down the road, Michael and I are going to talk about germs and what they really are and how we've been seduced into thinking they're bad guys and that these creepy crawlers cause disease. No, uh, just like in the human body, uh, they perform many functions. And one of the functions they provide is they convey information. Now, you can get way deep into this, and there's really evidence that microbes travel through interstellar space and are responsible for conveying informational fields to planetary systems and uh, largely responsible for helping planetary systems actually develop. But microbes really need to be understood and they're key in your garden. So you want mycorrhizae and you of course don't want to do anything that's going to kill these microorganisms. And of course we could talk about how pesticides and things would be actually suicidal for these guys and, and just neuter your garden forever. 
but what you also need is uh, to understand that you don't want to over-till the soil. And traditional or conventional farming, they go in with tractors and, and equipment, just tear up the soil just to make it easy for mass planting. And what we teach in permaculture and biodynamic gardening is you don't want to do that. So this year, for instance, we cleared another whole uh, acreage area on our property to expand our herbal production. And we didn't go in there and just tear up the soil to make it easy for us. We did a little bit of clearing of the things that were in the way. We had to get rid of a few huckleberry clusters and, and root systems and things like that. But once we did the basic clearing, then when we do the planting, we just do very minimalistic approach and leave the soil, the virgin soil there intact as much as possible. And then we will, you know, in the, <clears throat> the little shallow areas where we dig to get the rootlet started, then we will amend that with some worm castings and azomite things to make sure they have a good healthy start. For instance, in the, uh, you know, south of us in the wine country, they now have figured out that if they put in a handful of worm castings with every new uh, uh, grapevine that they're planting in a new uh, vineyard, it uh, reduces the mortality of new seedlings uh, tremendously. Um, so, you know, it's really cost effective. So you want to do that because it's going to make your stuff healthier and uh, achieve more success. The magical so, worm. Wait, yeah, and when you uh, don't till the, the, the soil and just try to leave it intact as much as possible, then what you're doing is leaving the whole biome intact, which uh, especially has to do with the microorganisms that you're going to need there. And then what happens is when you grow, let's just say you plant some rosemary, your first year it's going to be okay and you're going to be able to use it. But year after year, it's going to get stronger and not only flourish and get larger, but it's going to have more medicinal qualities and, and be a lot healthier because what it's done in successive years is the rootlets of the plant actually uh, be uh, synchronized with the micronage of the soil and vice versa. And this gets us back into an area of soil science that you don't hear about even in permaculture, which is called ionization analysis, where you're looking at uh, not just chemical properties, but you're using chemistry to discern the electrical resistance levels of the soil. Now, plants will normally do that if you, again, don't over-till and work with what's there and... Uh, and, you know, a lot of farming techniques, they say, well, we want to do crop rotation to reintroduce uh, nitrogen fixers and things and then go back and plant. Our, well, that's the stupidest thing you can do because what you're doing in the process is disrupting that micronage that takes several seasons at least for the plant and the soil to become really compatible so they can do their thing. And if you're doing crop rotation, or even in your backyard where you say, well, I think I'll grow some tomatoes here, and then next year you grow something else. Well, if you plant it right, you keep growing the same things in the same area, and then especially, like we're saying, let them go to seed. 
then you're going to have uh, more success long term. You're going to have more nutritious food, and um, we can get we'll we'll do a whole couple podcasts just on electrical properties of soil, and also relate that to how the body is the same way and how if you rather than do chemical assays, laboratory tests of the the body the way we do. If you instead look at the body electrically, you're going to learn a lot more about the body and then with simple measures just like with the soil you're going to be able to adjust the resistance level and produce health a lot quicker and have it be more sustainable rather than just relying on dumping in more nutrition all the time or more herbs or or any sort of thing wow so there's there's a lot going on and and it's you know you have an abundance of information at your fingertips on the internet so start simple and uh, start yeah. growing your culinary herbs. It's going to be good for you. You're going to save money, and uh, it's going to taste better. Yeah, and we're we're developing our physic uh, garden co-op, and with that, we'll have a ton of resources on there to help everybody on in one single place. So we'll have them by category. So we'll have a ton of resources for on uh, on herbs, on soil health. Um, as well as, you know, all the other categories of stuff we talk about. So we're working on that. And so when you become a member, you'll have access to all that as well as um, we'll do, or we're planning on doing Zoom meet, uh, web conferences with members so they can ask specific questions, you know, do that once a month. So that's something that we're working on. Uh, and also, you know, books, of course, I'm always a fan of books. So we'll have a, a whole library list of, of books that you can access. Um, one book that I found uh, valuable was Rosemary Gladstar's Medicinal Herbs, A Beginner's Guide. Uh, it's just a great book that kind of goes into each herb and gives you all the, all the specifics. Uh, another book that I just found, I like to go to the used bookstores around here. I found this really cool one. It's called the uh, Wild Garden, and uh, it's by uh, Lucy Huntington. I think this was in like 2000, 2001, right when kind of the permaculture craze was starting. And it's really cool because she just kind of relates to how um, replicating the wild uh, in your own garden has so many benefits from not only bringing back tons of wildlife, but also um, just helping your land flourish more because nature knows best and she goes into how to build out like a woodland edge hedge grows um uh, wildflower meadows in your own property and stuff like that adding uh, water and wetlands to your property really cool book and i didn't even go looking for this it's just kind of called out to me on the shelf there so i i really enjoyed that book i've been reading this month um, but there's tons of resources and we will get that going for you guys. I know we've been saying that for a while now, but, um, we've just got the business structure down now for the co-op and now we're moving on towards updating the website and building this out. And this is the new path we're going on. Um, but yeah, moving forward now on the medicinal herb side. And so we've covered, I think in great detail, how to get the garden going from, um, the permaculture aspect, the, the, the food forest concept, using raised beds, um, uh, container planting. If you're, you know, have just like a patio on a, on a deck in the middle of the city, um, 
the importance of uh, amending the soil and using organic fertilizers uh, and also then dedicating a space to a single type of plant so that it can, um, as Bear uh, described, um, condition itself within the substructure of the soil and all the little guys in there that are helping it out. Um, now let's say, so you've got a flourishing herb garden, you're growing things like ginger, turmeric, um, and we can go down the, the list of all the great medicinal herbs that are not culinary. Um, I mean, I could, cayenne's a great one. That's actually, actually culinary as well. Um, chickweed, dandelion is actually, I know in Asian medicine, dandelion is used a lot and that's like a weed grows everywhere. Um, I'm just naming a few, feverfew, um, uh, of course, ginger, lavender, lemon balm. Um, here's a funny one that I wasn't even really aware of was marshmallow. Um, I'll just kind of read a little quick uh, description of this. This probably isn't included in too many herbalist garden lists, but I think marshmallow is seriously necessary. It's a demulcent, if I'm saying that right, and soothing herb, mm -hmm. and it complements hotter herbs very well. It also soothes inflammation and mucous membranes and is one of my favorite herbs to use for allergy blends or teas for any kind of inflammation in the body for this reason. Marshmallow is an upright plant similar to a very small hollyhock. In fact, if you can grow hollyhocks where you are, you can use it pretty much interchangeably with marshmallow as their chemical constituents uh, are very similar. The flowers are light pink and very pretty too. The entire plant is edible and useful for medicinal purposes. Go ahead and throw a few flowers into your salad for a beautiful and surprising presentation. Uh, this is a new one to me. Are you familiar with marshmallow? Yeah. Wow, trippy. And, I always you thought know, marshmallow was just something. We could talk about single herbs all day long. Sorry, yeah, I know. I was just saying I always thought marshmallow was for s'mores. <laughs> I didn't know it was a plant. Learn something yeah, I think day. they're made by craft, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, we, could, we could go deep into single herbs. That's not the point of this. But I, I just wanted to uh, cover a few, you know. Uh, oregano is another great one we didn't mention on the culinary side that also has a million benefits. Um, but, uh, you know, you can actually, the average person, if you really get a kick out, out of it, you could get into some advanced concepts pretty quick. Um, uh, let me, well, you said dandelion, for instance, uh, dandelion is a bitter. And when you look at herbs and especially if you have the fresh alive herbs, you can put it in your mouth and taste it. And when you start to understand the properties like bitter, well, we know bitter herbs, uh, support digestion. Well, why do they do that? Because as soon as the bitter taste buds are activated, it automatically um, stimulates the vagus nerve in the, in the brain to um, get all the digestive processes going, start secreting bile, cholesterol, uh, different enzymes, and, uh, and things that will stimulate the appetite and all the things you need to do to digest food. So that's why like Swedish bitters, you know, will always have like burdock and dandelion and things. And when you just taste the dandelion itself, it's like it's bitter. We all know what bitter tastes like. Now, energetically, uh, we could say, well, bitters are good for digestion, but now maybe you have a constitution 
that's kind of um, cold. Uh, you know, you see people that are a little bit more slight of build and tend to get cold more, sure. or maybe they even have conditions of a damp cough and certain things. And it doesn't take a genius. You know, you don't have to get into pharmacology and fancy chemistry or medical school understanding to just start to tune into the properties of plants. So let's just say you have that more slight kind of individual prone to dampness, cold or whatever. And um, now you're just taking bitters all the time because you heard that it's good for your digestion. Well, maybe your constitution doesn't, won't thrive well because bitters, and if you kind of tune in and get out of your brain a bit, you'll, you'll understand that bitters have a cold quality to them. So we could really elaborate and give you a lot of examples of that. But when you learn some basic techniques of just tuning into the plant, seeing what it tastes like, kind of seeing what's obvious about your own body right in front of your nose every day, then you're going to start to get a little bit savvy as far as how to not just say, well, I want to take this because I heard it's good for that, but you're going to be able to tune it more into the energetic principles of that plant and whether or not they're compatible to you. So that's when you get into energetics. Now, when you look at Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, what they're really talking about is tonal fields. And I'd like to go you know, straight into that because that's the ultimate truth as far as how our electrical universe uh, works and then how the electrical properties that we put into play uh, ourselves that then uh, you know, play out in our body and our world. Uh, then, you know, now we're really getting to the point of, of being very aware and, and taking a more responsible, intelligent role as far as being co-creators. But in the meantime, herbology is a great way to tune into things on a more elevated manner versus reductionist kind of science that we now find ourselves in that takes everything apart and reduces it to the smallest components possible and then says, oh, well, that is, you know, why this particular herb works. And, you know, for instance, we have adaptogens. People say, oh, adaptogens are good because they help you fight stress and, and so forth. And, well, yeah, that's true, but there's many different types of adaptogens. And we use a lot of these words in health food stores, uh, you know, much too loosely. And for instance, if you have a kind of a, like an Ayurvedic sort of a fiery pita kind of disposition, you already have a lot of heat and, you know, maybe you need to balance out a little bit on the other side and you're taking these adaptogens all the time and you're already, uh, you know, leading down the road of a lot of people these days who just burnt out uh, adrenals and, and endocrine systems, then you take the wrong adaptogen day in, day out you can, uh, it would become like whipping a tired horse. But again, if you get to know yourself, get to just understand more on the basics, not in an academic or a compartmentalized way, looking at your overall constitution, your tendencies, and then just having a relationship with the plant, the plant will tell you exactly whether you need it or not. 
And so that's the best way. And that's the way I approach herbology because uh, I, I, I've done a lot of study and, and just like when you're studying pharmaceuticals, you learn the classifications of drugs and so forth and, and the indications, the actions, the contraindications. And you can pick up many herb books. It'll just list herb after herb after herb and uh, list it in such a fashion. But for most of us, it'll go in one ear and out the other. But if you learn the character and the constitution of the plant, you're going to remember that. That's going to stick with you rather than just learning list of abstract terms and words. So when we get more into uh, maybe some advanced discussions, Michael, we can uh, get at a 101 level of how to do that more thoroughly sure. and not only be able to use uh, herbs much more usefully, but then avoid any kind of problems. Take adaptogens again. You can take ginseng root. Now, some ginseng is very hot. Some is cooler. And, uh, but let's just take one of the more heat producing. It's a root, uh, it's a root and it has certain very earthy qualities because of its nature. And now we're growing Jiao Gulan outside, which people say it's like ginseng over in the only better because it has even more adaptogenic qualities. And, but then when you look at Jiao Gulan, it's a plant and, uh, you know, I construct uh, eight foot trellises and it grows up the trellis and when you look at it there are leaves and the leaves are telling you the plant is telling you the qualities the constitution of that plant it's bringing in the air and ayurvedic medicine that would be more of a vata quality it's and even though it's a, an adaptogen and helps fight stress it has a different constitutional character that is going to have uh, less of a chance of burning uh, a lot of people out these days that are already, you know, in a burnout stage and would burn themselves out even uh, quicker if they took the wrong kind of adaptogen every day. So I have a little bit of an issue with uh, the marketplace these days because, you know, we're all trying to sell our wares, but at the same time, uh, it's great that awareness that herbs have good qualities is, is um, you know, and can be helpful and more desirable than drugs. That's a good start. But we have to get a little bit more sophisticated and start to understand, and you don't have to be a professional to do this, that there's a little bit more to it. Uh, take yeah. another example. You could have herbs that are good for pain. Now, when you take um, the pharmaceutical uh, industry's pain medications, they work on one mode, one mode only. And they, they either kind of, in a, they're hypnotics that help you disassociate from your pain like opiates or else they have more analgesic that just sort of deaden things in a way. Now in herbs, people will say, oh, I heard this herb like willow bark is a good analgesic. But the fact is when you get into herbs, you're going to find that you have uh, antispasmodics, anti-inflammatories, analgesics, ones that are diuretics that will reduce swellings that are contributing to pain. We could go on and on about all the qualities of different herbs. And if you then look at the individual and just say, oh, you hurt, so therefore take Advil, we're going to be a little bit smarter and say, okay, why do you hurt? 
And, you know, you might need a nervine, which is going to uh, intervene at the level of the nerves. You uh, might be, uh, you know, have different kinds of spasms that are, you know, creating contractions that make things hurt. So in herbs, you have a wide variety of ways to tune in that will allow you to have much more success as far as killing the pain but doing it in a way that's conducive to what the individual really needs rather than take a drug that just basically overrides everything and then in the long run creates way more problems and ends up producing more pain because it's you get in the vicious circle when you take those pharmaceutical derivatives or even simple aspirin is not a good thing. And, you know, like, go oh, take an aspirin a day to as a blood thinner, you know, everybody my age is put on aspirin, and it's 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 really really a dumb idea. And people are going into kidney failure and and really taking years off their life by doing these things that brainwashed doctors are telling them to do. So herbology has so much more um, efficacy and 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 just all encompassing effects. But it takes more education. But for the average person, there's a way to simplify, like start with your culinary herbs, like we said today. We'll expound more in the future as far as going into how to get to know the personality of herbs and through it get to know yourself. And now you're really achieving the ultimate goal in medicine, which is becoming your own doctor. Because when you do that, it cascades and it becomes a journey that you'll never be able to return from. You'll never be able to go back. And not only do you get more knowledgeable about the herbs, but then you're going to get more involved with the energetics. When you get into the energetics, you're going to be introduced to the electrical properties of the universe and your role within it. And then you're going to get closer and closer with little baby steps as far as reaching your whole potential and realizing why you're here in the first place. So any kind of medicine, whether it's chiropractic, uh, you know, oncology, all those can be abused if they're done in at the expense of looking at external things out there to fix you. That's why always go back to nature, grow your own things, uh, you know, enjoy the process. It's an adventure. And then you will learn from nature more than you could ever read or learn out of a book. Yeah, I think the takeaway from this is become more responsible in your life and and start taking, you know, start taking some action in your own life. We, I feel like modern society is conditioned and essentially, I hate to, you know, not a knock on people, but are lazy, where we now have been conditioned to just expect that sci- quote unquote science and, and these agencies uh, have fixed everything for us. We're at the apex of human civilization so that if we have an issue, we Google it. And even on the herb side, we Google it. We find out an immediate herb that helps us because it's this or that. We go run over to our local Whole Foods and we buy a bottle of it and we start taking it 
instead of listening to our own body and understanding our own how nature works. Um, same with you know the painkillers and stuff. You know, I was born, I was raised that way too. It's just how most people are. It's like, oh, you have a headache, take an Advil. Or, you know, it's so simple. You just run down to 7-Eleven or your local, you know, any store has it. You just grab some drugs. Uh, so it's, I think the takeaway is putting a little bit extra effort into understanding ourselves, listening to ourselves better, and then working with Mother Nature to know individually how we work with her so that we can totally thrive uh, just like, you know, generations in the past did. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, one uh, one thing I wanted to uh, just expound on real briefly. You mentioned pollinators. Yeah. Go wait till Mike gets back. Maybe he's not coming back. Oh, okay. there he is. Keep going. If I leave, keep the show going. I just had to deal with. Okay. Some shit. So um so Mike um you mentioned pollinators and. You know, like outside my window here, I'm looking at a buddleia bush, and it's uh, teeming with moths, butterflies, bumblebees. All of those are pollinators. And we make a big thing about honeybees. Well, honeybees, and now this isn't <laughs> like a, a, a negative on honeybees. You know, I'm a beekeeper myself. But honeybees aren't native to North America. And in fact, they compete with the natural pollinators. Here in the southern northwest where we live, there's several thousand varieties of pollinators. Now, my buddleia bush is one that attracts pollinators and allows pollinators to, um, to uh, uh, replenish themselves. Uh, other plants like Asclepius, we should be planting those in our yard to attract natural pollinators. You know, if you have too many honeybees, they will compete with the natural pollinators that are native to your area and actually you'll get less pollination. Hmm. So again, not down on honeybees, but if you're raising them, you want to do it in a certain way and not overdo too many honeybees per area of land. Now, we use honeybees overly much in the conventional food growing because we've done such a number on our environment where we've killed all of the natural pollinators and we rely on this foreign breed of pollinators, the honeybees, to do the work that these other natives used to do. And, uh, and then to make matters worse, these uh, the 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 commercial beekeepers they load up these big trailer tractor trucks of their honey boxes and then move them from orchard to orchard growing fields and you know you, you see that when you go down highway 5 in california and and uh and and then to keep the bees alive of course they're doing all sorts of weird stuff and antibiotics just to just to keep them pumped up so they stay alive and they can make their money and, and do their thing. And it's just further screwing up the ecosystem. So the best thing you can do while you're growing your things at home, growing your own herbs, is do a little research into some of these pollinator plants uh, that, to create 
uh, uh, a habitat for pollinators and guaranteed with just a season or two as these plants flourish, you're going to see all these natural pollinators. Now, when you see all the varieties of butterflies and moths and and little bugs that don't even, you know, aren't bees, and and then especially bumblebees. We have so many bumblebees here. Those well, are the, lo- there's the, like the, ten the original different, pollinators. There's like 10 different kinds of bees too. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, yeah. we, the, we, I've been noticing that too, is that we have, like there's like these little little bees that look almost like the sand bees, you know, at the beach. Yeah. I forgot what those the are H-bees. called. Bees. Yeah. And then of course the big black bumblebees, uh, and then even wasps, uh, and then all sorts of butterflies, moss. It's funny. We I was just quizzing my kids yesterday, like name ten, or I was like name six or seven pollinators. <laughs> we were literally talking about this yesterday. So, uh, so important. Yeah. So that's real important that everybody should be doing that not only will it help your own garden flourish but you're doing a, a, a good thing for the larger ecosystem yeah yeah so moving into uh kind of harvesting your herbs which is just as big as growing them um some popular ways to use them of course traditional as we're talking about culinary herbs using them in traditional cooking salads and stir fries sautés um obviously going raw with a lot of them so you can get the enzymes and stuff so important um i use them in my smoothies um i make sauces with them um but besides the culinary side obviously teas uh are a great way to um to use them and then tinctures uh something that we are real big fans of. I don't know if you want to get too deep into this, but this was part of the subject matter of the talk today was helping folks understand kind of ways to process and use these herbs. Uh, I know this gets into a pretty detailed and long discussion, and I don't know how deep we want to get in. We're already an hour and a half into the talk today. So, um, but, you know, maybe give a quick little rundown on how to do tinctures and what you recommend. Yeah, tinctures is a whole different thing, but some simpler ways, uh, you know, like we make salts. We'll take Celtic sea salt or Himalayan salt, and uh, I'll go out and maybe get a variety of herbs, like for an Italian kind of thing. Uh, I'll do rosemary and and uh, oregano and thyme and the things we have growing out there, and I'll just kind of proportion with some salt, put it in a little personal blender, and then we just have it in the shaker. So that's, uh, you know, and we, we just season your food, you know, you've got the salt and salt it in the right form is, is very valuable to mineralize. So don't buy any of the thing about salt is bad for you. It's just that people eat the wrong kind of salt. So, um, yeah, that's one way to do it. You can uh, put sprigs of different herbs in um, olive oil and infuse your olive oil. And this, this kind of stuff's fun. You know, you, you leave it in there for a few months and not only does it taste good, but you get the herbal qualities. Yeah. Uh, one of the best homemade ways to do it, I think, is make a mixture of half honey and half raw apple cider vinegar mm. and put herbs in that. And then strain it, you know, after it's been sitting for a while. And it's a really good way, uh, you know, the medicinal qualities of both the, the apple cider vinegar and the honey mixed with the herb, it makes, has really good effects. And, um, oh, that's cool. So that's another way to do it. And that's, that's a form of tincturing and that's more old school 
you know, that kind of way and it'll, uh, and it tastes good. Now, if you just want to make simple tinctures, then you'd want to have dry herbs. And let's just say you want rosemary, which is good for circulation and, and, and a number of other things. We won't go into everything. But if you wanted to make a tincture out of that, or say oregano, a lot of people are into oregano now because of its immune enhancing qualities. Well, you can take just uh, organic alcohol and mix the, you know, get the dry herb in, uh, in more of a smaller consistency and then let it sit there for a couple months and then strain it out and then you can take it by the drops to be a little more concentrated. We have uh, more advanced ways in our, my little chemical lab where we use uh, kind of reflux technologies and do things that I wouldn't advise people to do at home because you have to understand a little bit more about chemistry and understand about laboratory safety. But when you know how to do those things, you can start creating real concentrated medicines. But for the home herbologist, you really don't need to get into that. It's very easy to make a tincture. And uh, you might just get a little uh, simple herb press or even a um, press that you, you know, you can buy online that's for uh, making apple cider and you can just, uh, you know, you have a, a hand crank that compresses uh, whether it's apples or your herbal macerate with the, with the um, uh, alcohol in it and you want to strain it. And then you just, it, there, the hose comes out as you squeeze it and then you just uh, put it through a cheesecloth so you get a nice clear tincture with all the medicine that you want out of it. Another really, really great way to do it that uh, I think maybe is actually my favorite is just doing fusions. And so if you're um, going into the cold season, you want to harvest as much as your herbs uh, as possible and then dry them out. If you don't have a professional drying rack or dehydrator or something like that, uh, just simply put them in a warm window, maybe have a little fan you know and have the fan directed at it it'll just dry it out in a matter of days and then you can uh, bottle that up and then use it for cooking for making tinctures uh, whatever you want until you have fresh things you know the next year but when you have uh, or you could use it for infusions even but I favor fresh herbs for infusions so we can go outside here and pick fresh nettles. For instance, nettles is one of my favorite of all herbs. It does so many good things for you. Uh, and it's so, uh, so nutritious. And you gather the herbs, whatever it is, and then just leave it in water uh, for a few days or even overnight in your refrigerator. And, uh, and then it just gets infused and then you drink it as a tea. So uh, infusions are a real low-tech, effective way to get herbs. You can do it with dandelion, with, uh, you know, like miner's lettuce and things for pain. Uh, you know, miner's lettuce has opiates. So if you're going to take uh, a type of pain medication to just kind of disassociate you from the pain the way that more pharmaceuticals work, but do it in a safer way with less side effects, Say you have a toothache or something, you go out and get miner's lettuce, which grows in a lot of suburban neighborhoods and people just look at it and don't even know what it is. 
you can go online, look at it in YouTubes and identify it and probably find it in your area. And you make infusions out of that or tinctures out of that. There's a lot of things you don't even need to grow. Uh, just, you know, roam the hills, learn how to identify things. Right now we've got mushrooms are, uh, we're amazed. Uh, we're on our walk yesterday and the chanterelles are coming up in the forest all over the place. Mm. Uh, so, you know, not everybody lives in forested areas, but there's so many things that if you know what they look like, you can gather them yourself and not even have to grow them. Yeah. Um, that's a great point going out into the, into, uh, your local forests or parks or wherever you are and foraging is always super fun actually. And rewarding. And, uh, the other thing too, I was going to mention is making essential oils, of course, which requires more herbs. But if you're growing a ton of herbs, you can make your own essential oils, which are extremely beneficial as well. So for about uh, $300 worth of equipment, you'd have a, a heating element, a round flask, and you know, the, the cylinder and, and the condenser and things that you know, would allow you to set up a simple distillation process. You don't have to go out and spend a few thousand dollars to get a CO2 extractor or, uh, or uh, an expensive uh, copper stainless steel still. You can get it online with any kind of uh, glassware laboratory products. And, and yeah, you're right. You can, uh, you know, make essential oils yourself. And you can also recover the alcohol that you're using to make the extraction, use it over and over again. There's all sorts of things you can do for people that want to jump into it and get more involved. But with that, you just want to watch a few videos, get a little more scold and make sure you don't blow up your kitchen at the same time. I'll give you a good idea. Awesome. Well, I think we've had a great talk today. I think we've, you know, touched a lot on uh, the general beginnings of starting your own herb garden, growing your own medicine, ways to process it. I think the big takeaway, of course, is getting to know yourself, of course, is always number one uh, most important thing so that you know what's going to work best for you. Um, we touched on knowing if you run more hot or cold, which is kind of very Ayurvedic in those notions. Uh, and understanding then, um, as you get to know the plants more and the nature of the plants and the feeling of them, what's going to work best for you, given uh, what time of year it is and, and what your needs are. So there's a lot of intuition involved, and it's just getting more in the practice of being more in our natural state. Um, like we've said, we say every show, uh, mankind in our hubris, we've gotten away from that. And now it's, it's really hurting us because we're so compartmentalized and we're so just now conditioned to kind of <clears throat> live in this very plastic world where, and I mean that not just literally, but where everything is just kind of in a simulacrum, if you will, everything's digitized. Every, we're, we're really removed from our true state of being and so that when we thus causes a lot of these health issues, and then when we start feeling bad, what do we do? We run to Google, we start Googling stuff, or we run to the local drugstore, and we grab the easiest solution to give us some temporary relief instead of looking at the much more integrated approaches and, that comes with this understanding. So that's what Alpha Vedic's all about, is helping educate folks and ourselves 
as we grow into our, the more natural world and understanding how we can not only get in tune with ourselves and our community, but with nature and use nature's power to help us. Uh, so I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, Dr. Lando, did you have any parting words for our listeners? Uh, yeah, just to wrap it up, I'd say it's a, to repeat, it's a journey and we've been brought into a digital world. And so with some of the things we've been discussing, what you're really doing is retracing the breadcrumbs crumbs backwards as far as how we got brought into this digital world, because digital again is, um, a, a very gross level of breaking things into components so that you lose all context, all larger context in how things work in the first place. So as we grow our own things and do, uh, you know, what we've been discussing, you're going from digital back to analog, which has more of the original informational fields you find in nature. And then that's going to lead you step by step away from this compressed information that we call physicality that we've been led to believe is us in our reality. And when you reverse it, you're going to eventually get to a place where intuition becomes knowing. And then you have now inverted the, the access of your consciousness to you no longer see yourself or view yourself as a part of that compartmentalization or a part of the compressed information that we call physicality. And you take your rightful place as creator with all the rest of the creators, which is the sum total of humanity and the larger intelligences that govern the universe. And that's when things really get fun. It's when you have no more victims, no more problems. And that is our destiny. And that's why herbology, for one thing, is a great tool to reverse the process and go back to uh, our natural state and claim our divine right. Wonderful. Yeah, bingo, spot on. Great parting words. So we'll end it at that. Thanks again for joining us today, Bear. Uh, for those listening, you can join in on the live chat. We do this as a live stream on DLive, a platform we really love. You can find us on DLive.tv forward slash Alpha Vedic. Uh, if you want to get involved with our community, we're most active on Telegram. You can join our Telegram at t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. Uh, I'm trying to really grow that because that's the, the platform that we're on all day. Uh, so please uh, join us there. It's a simple uh, application you can get on your phone or your computer. And it's really fun just to engage there, drop links, etc. We're also on Discord. We are on, of course, the traditional platforms. We replay this live stream on YouTube at 5 p.m. today. Uh, we're also, this podcast is available on iTunes and on Podbean. And if you go to our website, alphavedic.com, you can join in uh, on everything by joining our mailing list. And we'll, we send out our topic for the week for the live stream ahead of time and as well as tons of more information about our products and where we're going as a company. 
So this has been uh, quite a jo joy today. I learned a ton and I appreciate your time. Everybody have a wonderful day. Cheers.